0: Hi, guys. Uh, Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Plant Medicine, Cannabis, psychedelics, and pharmaceutics. I am your host, Dr. Lola Austin, and as Dr. O, a clinical pharmacist, plant medicine specialist, I help you level up on your wellness journey using the powers of plant and education as tools. But before we go on, let's quickly get our cleaning done. This show is for educational purposes it should not be taken as medical advice. Consult with your doctor for all your medical need. Do not stop or start any medicine without talking to your doctor. The show is sponsored by WCI Health. They are your alternative health and wellness talk. At WCI Health will help you level up on your wellness journey. They are also the makers of glows. When you think glows, think beauty from within. Today, we have a really distinguished professor, Dr. Andrew Salzman. Dr. Sussman is Chief Science Officer at Innovation One. Welcome, Dr. Sussman, to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here today.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. And I wanna quickly ask you, talk to us a little bit about Innovation One.
1: Oh, happy to do that. Innovation One Biotech is a public company uh, in the United States that I joined because I really believe it is at the forefront of the next step, the next age in the development of Schedule One derivative drugs. That is drugs that come from plants, that heretofore have been unavailable, inaccessible by the public yet have enormous powers to treat uh, disease. And it is the first company that I have seen that really captures the or intends to capture the full power of these uh, botanicals, but in a way that is consistent with the pharmaceutical field. So it's really a leap forward. It's a next step in which the botanical world of Schedule One products has really jumped forward into mainstream pharmaceutical science. And that's why it's a privilege for me to be part of that and to share that excitement with you today.
0: I am excited just hearing that Dr. Sazma for me, for those of, I mean, most of my listeners, they know me, but in case you don't, I was born in West Africa where we use this plant medicine as tools, wellness to our forefathers have been using this plant forever and as a clinical pharmacist also, I, have, I know how this drug works. So it's kind of like the best of both. So having especially a, a professional like you come on board is really great for me. Um, and my first question is that your team recently referenced a study that was recently done talking about how magic mushroom may help with uh, alcohol addiction and how your team is working to combine both sex delis probably uh, classic psychedelics and cannabis uh, together. First of all, tell us about some of this research that has been done, the data. What are you seeing in this research?
1: Well, there's very exciting research that's showing in the psychedelic space that some of the mushroom derived molecules, in particular, the psilocybin, psilocybin's. these molecules seem to have the potential to rewire parts of the brain that deal with emotion. You know, until very recently, we all believed we were taught that when the brain forms and you're an adult, well, that's it. I mean, the wiring is there, you do the best you can with it, but that's it. And when you have an injury like a stroke or some kind of an event that happens, well, there's not much you can say. Or if you have a psychological problem that you've inherited, uh, depression or, or you know, some kind of schizophrenia, some prop, some mental illness, that's it. But only recently, in the last couple of years, have we learned that the brain is actually dynamic. It is actually rewiring, reforming, we become different people, in essence. Now the medicines out there so far today don't address that. They will treat brain problems like depression and addiction, but only while the drug is there. But in other words, they're treating the software, if you will. But here, recently, it's been shown that psychedelics have the ability to rewire. It's called neuronal plasticity. The notion that you can change the structure, the hard wiring of the brain itself, and take someone who's depressed or addicted and actually change that, maybe not forever, but for months on end. Even after single doses, it's been shown with some of these psychedelics, that the effects last six months. And when they've done studies in animals, they've seen that the brain is actually rechanged. It's it's rewired, if you will, it's changed. So we're taking advantage of that knowledge in that research and developing a psychedelic molecule that is a pharmaceutical, is well controlled, is safe to take, easily administered, and, and will have that neuronal plasticity. We'll be able to make those changes. Now on the cannabinoid side, We haven't seen fundamental rewiring yet. No one has seen that yet. But what has been seen is that some of these cannabinoids are actually addressing the very same centers in the brain that control emotion and addiction. So by combining the psychedelics, which can rewire, and the cannabinoids, which can modulate, we expect to have a profound and enduring effect. And that's that's the concept.
0: That is amazing. That sounds like it's gonna be a game changer. My question as it relates to that combination of psychedelics and cannabis, and uh, when we're talking about cannabis, a lot of people don't know that cannabis is also a psychedelic molecule, uh, plant as well. So is it safe? Will you say it's safe to combine those two? What is the thought behind that?
1: Well, when we're talking about safety, let's break it into the two parts. In the psychedelic space, such as with the mushrooms, too much of a good thing is too much. So if you overdose, or if you take an excessive amount of these mushroom-derived psilocins, you will have problems. You will have hallucinations, you might have delusions, you might have paranoid episodes. So it's very important in the medical setting that the amount of the drug is well controlled, not too little because there won't be any effect, but not too much because there will be an excessive effect and some of these toxicities, some of these side effects that are undesirable. So we have engineered these psychedelics to be much better controlled, so that when a person takes the drug, he's not getting those spikes that would cause that problem. Now, on the cannabinoid side, we're not using a psychedelic. The cannabinoid that's effective for addiction, for example, is not a psychedelic. In fact, it's quite the opposite. THCV is a cannabinoid. It's present in cannabis, as you might know. And it blocks the effect of THC. THC has psychedelic properties. Yes, that's true. It's psychoactive for sure. But THCV actually blocks that. So we are not giving two psychedelics and there's no risk of overdoing it and causing a hyper-psychedelic uh, event. You don't need to worry about that.
0: That is awesome. I'm really glad you went ahead and break that down uh, for us. Uh, yeah, the, there's a recent study from uh, NYU School of Medicine. They found that uh, uh the active ingredient uh, in magic mushroom, they said could break, uh, have a breakthrough therapy for fighting alcohol addiction. Is there any way to think this could also expand to other addiction, not just alcohol addiction, but other type of addiction like gambling, uh, sex addiction? Do you think it will work for those as well?
1: You know, one of the most interesting things I've observed in the last year is the recognition that craving when you want something really badly, an addiction, if you will, that craving of different types seems to be focused on the same biological receptor in the brain. And there was a beautiful study, for example, uh, two years ago from the NIH, which was looking at THCB, which is the cannabinoid I just mentioned. Now they were looking at nicotine, okay, very common addiction, smoking, Very, and it completely blocked nicotine addiction. But what was even more interesting was that it was blocking alcohol addiction and amphetamine addiction and opiate addiction. Now, these are unrelated molecules. These are unrelated pathways, but they all seemed to converge on a particular biological molecule. It's called the alpha-3, beta-4 nicotinic acetylcholine receptor. It's got a long name to it, but the bottom line is that there is a place in the brain there is a receptor, there is a molecule that seems to be where all of these different types of addictions are converging into a single space. So even though some person might have a craving for alcohol, some for pizzas, some for nicotine, some for gambling, there's something about our brain. There's a special place in our brain which controls that. And I'm sure it had an evolutionary advantage. There must be some advantage having cravings for something right cravings for power wealth success sex whatever it's there for a reason but in excess it causes all of these maladies that we confront once you have a drug or drugs plural that can attack this center you can for the first time modulate addiction across all these different categories
0: that is amazing that is really really amazing in your in uh, addiction program, your team has stated that you already have a preclinical data uh, supporting its use in the treatment of drug ad- addiction. So t- can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes, our first plan is to go into the addiction space with the psychedelic I' mentioned in conjunction with a thcb we're not going to use thcb though as is thcb as you find in cannabis today for example is not an easy molecule to make into a drug it's a wonderful molecule it has this great property i've mentioned it attacks this receptor it's perfect in that sense but as a drug it falters in a few ways It, it isn't well absorbed when you take it orally it gives unpredictable levels And so what's critical here is to take what we know from the plant, the power of the plant, if you will, and to change that, to transform that into a drug. What is a drug? Something that's safe, it's stable. You swallow it, you get a a reasonable amount of absorption every time, predictability. Those qualities make something a drug and not just a molecule from a plant, and it's that, transition from the plant molecule to a pharmaceutical drug that requires the skill and creation, the innovation to modify the plant molecule and make it into a real workable drug. And that's what we're doing. That's where we are right now. And that is moving forward in the preclinical space.
0: That is awesome. Well, One of my other questions is that, I mean, when we look at this plant we know that plants, and it's not just cannabinoid plants, plants generally, they are very promiscuous. They have, uh, combined with different things, they have what we call entourage effect. Entourage effect meaning different receptor is working together. In these molecules that your team is developing, uh, how will you address the entourage effect that we tend to see in conventional botanical compared to a single agent molecule? Is it a single agent molecule like our conventional medicine?
1: This is a fantastic question. Uh, the, you're absolutely right. The plants have a host of different molecules that somehow have worked together or work together in a way that confirmed this benefit from having so many different things there. And together, we call that the entourage effect. And that's been shown for cannabis. It's been shown by a number of groups. It's a real effect, there's no doubt about it. And for that reason, cannabis has become very popular. It's indisputable. But when we talk about the pharmaceutical space, it's just not possible to to capture and to retain that benefit, at least not today. The FDA, for better or for worse, is designed as, an, as a governmental institution to protect us. That was really why it was formed in 1930s, right? It's there to provide safety. It wasn't there to provide efficacy. The FDA grew up to provide safety, to protect the public. And so every single molecule in a drug is scrutinized to an amazing extent. There are, there is by law a whole, and by a regulation, a whole series of st- studies that must be done on every single molecule. It takes years, takes millions of dollars, unfortunately, but this is the law of the land, and it's not just the United States; it's every country. So, to have four or five or six or ten molecules in a mixture, which is what you have with cannabis, would require a pharmaceutical company to simultaneously develop all of those say 10 molecules to study all of their interactions and then put them into a single capsule. No one will ever be able to do that. Even though it's a great idea, I'm behind it, but from a practical perspective, it won't happen. So we cannot benefit from the entourage effect, set
0: um, I mean, I'm not even mad at you at all. <laughs> at the end of the day, uh, folks, are still able to get medicine. Because even when we look at the conventional ways, the botanical, we're not gonna have enough of this plant medicine that is gonna be able to take care of all of us. So we need people like you, uh, definitely, that's gonna help us develop these molecules that is gonna be available for all of us. And it's not every one of us that's gonna have money to go to Costa Rica, to practice in the indigenous way of doing it. So thank you for what you are doing, uh, Dr. Sussman. uh My next question, your company just announced it has filed a provisional patent application covering its novel and um, proprietary combination therapy targeting the addiction center in the human brain. What can you tell us about uh, that?
1: Well, every company that's developing a pharmaceutical needs to protect its technology so that it can justify the vast investment required. So patents are an absolutely critical part of our company's strategy and business development. Now, in this particular case, what we've done is we have patented, or we applied for patent protection for this combination of the psychedelic, which I mentioned before, in combination with various cannabinoid prodrugs. We're not just combining them with cannabinoids, or straightforward cannabinoids, cannabinoids that are botanical, but cannabinoids that have been modified to have these superior pharmaceutical features. So that combination is covered in the new patent application.
0: Okay. So my other question, quickly, for is that this cannabinoid that you are using, are you are they genetically modified, like the ones that are being developed from yeast? Uh, fermentation, or how do you get your own uh, cannabinoid?
1: Well, we produce our cannabinoids in the laboratory. So these are chemically produced. They begin with natural products, actually. They're not completely synthetic. But once we begin, we then modify them like any classic small molecule of uh, chemical, right? So the classic way that pharmaceutical industries make drugs in the laboratory. The advantage of that is we have complete control over the synthesis of the product. We know exactly what goes in and what comes out and we can satisfy the FDA that we can precisely make it the same way every time and have the same results. So it's a clean version of a cannabinoid. Other companies have taken a different approach. GW Pharma, for example, purified CBD And their product, Epidiolex, they purified it from the plant. Much more difficult. So we think the wave of the future, especially when we're making a modified cannabinoid, is to do it the classic pharmaceutical way in the lab.
0: That is cool. That is, I mean, I believe one thing, we're going to need all hands on deck. We cannot uh, eliminate uh, big farmers. They got a part to play, especially when it comes to route of administration, dosing. They have done this for so long. Us in the plant medicine space saying, oh, we're going to, no, we need to take their technology and bring it to the plant medicine space so that we can have that bioavailability that you just mentioned, Dr. Sussman. That brings me to my next question, which is these plants are very special to me. Because I was born in West Africa, Iboga is synonymous to Central Congo, Republic of Central Congo in in Central West Africa. I remember growing up, my dad, I used to see Vokanga African uh, in the house. This was the uh, tabernacle Iboga species that the elders used uh, for a safer utilization in Africa. So your team has produced a prodrug which is manufactured chemically without any connection to the cannabis plant, THCV, that's probably what we just discussed, and combination of it with the Iboga tree, the Ibogaine is the active ingredient in that, which allows for improved bioavailability, Enhance more stable and reliable concentration of the drug in the central nervous system. Uh, what can you tell us about this product as it relates to dosage and uh, administration? Yes,
1: thank you. Great question there. Iboga was discovered over probably hundreds of years, maybe longer, to have wonderful effects. Uh, it is a psychoactive drug, it has hallucinogenic properties, but more importantly for us today, it has properties of blocking depression and, and also now uh, addiction. But the problem with Iboga from the get-go has been that as it's been used more and more, particularly in the 60s, it was recognized that it has some side effects, sadly. And the principal side effect, the one of greatest concern, was that it can cause arrhythmias in the heart. And some of those arrhythmias can be quite serious. They could even be life-threatening. And for that reason, there was a lot of research that happened at the University of Rochester, especially in the 1960s and 70s. And there they were able to take the effects of Ebola and to modify the structure in such a way that they could retain the psychological benefits, the psychoactive benefits, without the problems in the heart. So they were able to safely administer that. Now, those drugs, again, have problems with dosing. The levels are too high. You can get really severe paranoia and hallucinatory effects. They need to be modulated and controlled. So we're taking the structures that were developed back again at the University of Rochester, which are derivatives or analogs, I should say, of and we've modified them so that we can, can control the dosing
0: that is awesome and i'm gonna go to one uh controversial question right now <laughs> yeah there is the school of thoughts that feel like okay mysticism is part of the psychedelic psychoactive part of this part of the therapeutic effect of this agent evoga psilocybin ayahuasca what do you think of mysticism i said because when we look at the uh pharmaceutics uh modalities uh the mysticism uh, seems to be uh not addressed what is your take on mysticism as part of uh the future do you think it's relevant do you think it's just magic or is just science we don't know yet
1: oh no i think that mysticism per se has a profound effect both acutely That is, it can change the way our mind is working. But as I said before, the research in the last few years is talking about neuronal plasticity, which means we ourselves, either through our thoughts or by chemicals that we put into our body, we can change the brain. We are not born and live and die with the same brain. It's changing, we're different people. So mysticism has a powerful effect, particularly in parts of the brain in the emotional centers. I mean, it's not surprising that every culture on earth has mysticism as a core component of its culture. That's known. And that's been true for thousands of years. And mysticism can cause vast changes in the way people behave, the way they interact, the way they think, how long they live, how healthy they are. So there is a connection of a mind-body axis here. And I don't think it's just in the thinking part, I believe That there's actual rewiring and we see this in mri and functional mri studies today when people are asked to think about certain subjects or when they're praying there are changes in the blood flow in different regions of the brain so mysticism is real how it will combine with what we're doing is interesting in some of the early studies on the psychedelics they have incorporated a person, a therapist or some kind of individual, trained individual in the room with the subject getting these drugs. So they recognize there's a combination of the human element participating in this as well as the medicinal element. So I do think that mysticism will have a role. How it will have a role, I don't know. It's complicated to uh, quantify or to categorize the mystical event it can differ from person to person i don't think it's easy to to make that reproducible but i do see the value of it
0: yeah thank you so much for that i love it love it love it i tell people brain is too complex it's, it's kind of hubris of us human sometimes to think we can just explain this complex organ with few eloquent words it's amazing thank you so much dr Sussman. Where can we find you? Where can our audience, maybe there are some of our our big companies or small companies or even our folks want to know more about what you're doing? Where can we find you?
1: Well, I would strongly encourage you first to go to the website of the company because there is, I think, a nice uh, selection of information that will provide a background and a starting point. And then if there are individuals who want to take the next step, I would be happy to speak with them on a one-on-one basis.
0: Thank you so much. And we're going to put every information to the website on our show notes before we send it out, folks. That's our show today. Find all the past episodes on Cannabis Radio and wci-health.com. Please rate us, give us a five uh, star, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Plus, you can also have the show on iHeart Radio, Amazon Music, Google, WCI Health, or wherever you find your podcast. Follow me on social, WCI Health19 on IG, Dr. Lola O'Hamba on LinkedIn, and on Twitter, WCI Health. And of course, don't you forget, you are yet to pick a copy of my book, A Pharmacy's Guide to Cannabis, Perspective of a Nonconforming Clinician, Go grab your copy either on Amazon or on the website. Until next time, folks, remember health equals well. Bye for now.